On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. This is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. If you read nonfiction books and thought-provoking discussions with authors spark your interest, you'll find the Book TV newsletter a valuable learning resource for staying informed. Hi, John here, one of the producers at Book TV. Think of the Book TV newsletter as your weekly literary update, your source for advance notice of program highlights, featured book festivals, and in-depth profiles of nonfiction authors. Explore the Book TV newsletter to organize your viewing and ensure you never miss a significant literary event. Be a Book TV insider with our weekly newsletter, because Book TV is television for serious readers like you. Subscribe today at cspan.org slash connect. That's cspan.org slash connect. And welcome to About Books. Now in a few minutes, we'll chat with best-selling author Brad Meltzer about his popular children's series, Ordinary People Change the World. It's the 10th anniversary of that book series. But first, here's some of the latest news from the publishing world. Well, about 767 million books were sold in the U.S. last year. That's down about 20 million from 2022. Publishers Weekly noted that the decrease is less than industry experts expected. In other news, Circana Bookscan showed that eight titles sold more than one million copies during 2023. Most were fiction, including Colleen Hoover, who had three million booksellers. Fellow adult fiction author Rebecca Yaros had two. Prince Harry Spare was a top-selling biography with 1.2 million print copies sold. And here's a recent story about the business of audiobooks. The Associated Press reports that Amazon is laying off about 5% of its workforce from its audiobook and podcast service, Audible. Audible was purchased by Amazon in 2008 for $300 billion. And it says that Audible is dominant in the audiobook market and has sought to pull in more customers through exclusive content and high-profile deals. And Audible recently announced one such high-profile project. They will be doing an audiobook remake of George Orwell's 1984 featuring a celebrity cast. Oscar-nominated actor Andrew Garfield will voice the protagonist Winston Smith alongside Grammy, Emmy, and Tony Award-winning actor Cynthia Erivo, who will voice the character of Julia. Actor Tom Hardy of Inception fame will voice Big Brother, and Irish actor Andrew Scott plays O'Brien. Audible said its new version of 1984 has been endorsed by the Orwell estate and will be released in April, exactly 40 years after the date of Winston's first diary entry in the book. And now an interview with author Brad Meltzer about his best-selling children's book series, Ordinary People Change the World. Mr. Meltzer started the series 10 years ago and is celebrating the milestone with a new book in the series. Book TV recently sat down with him to talk about the project. So author Brad Meltzer, is it fair to say you got your start as a as a thriller writer? Yeah, no, listen, that's uh, for 27 years now, 
I've been murdering people all day long, um, writing thrillers, researching the White House, figuring out how the government keeps its secrets and, and more important, the people there, how they keep their secrets. And I, and I think you've just also figured out the single best way um, to that makes logical sense why someone would suddenly want to write books for children is you have murder and then children. So uh, of course it's a beautiful transition. Well, before we leave the thrillers, how many have you written and how much research goes into those? So I've written 13 thrillers that are, that are fictional and uh, the research takes me at least a, a year, six months to a year for each one. Each book takes about two years to do. And you know, I, I know I can make up anything, but if I say to you, there are secret tunnels below the White House and they run from the White House all the way down to Florida and Disney World, we'd all laugh and we know that that's not you know, really true. But if I tell you when you're in the ground floor corridor of the White House and you see that big red carpet in front of you, you're gonna see two statues that are on your left Go through those statues as a door there. There's gonna be lots of chairs that are stacked up. That, that's the entrance and where they hold all the chairs for the state dinners, that's the storage room. But on the back of that room, there's another door. Go through that one. You'll see and smell flowers on your left-hand side. That's where the White House flower shop is. And now the ceiling will start to lower and you'll see HVAC equipment above your head. And as you get to that dead end, you're gonna see on your right-hand side, a steel metal door. That is the real entrance to the secret tunnel below the White House. It's a bomb shelter. If you read one of my thrillers, The First Council, uh, you'll also see where that bomb shelter leads out. But now what I've started as fiction seems very real to you. So all that research to me is the best part. It's how it makes it real. And then we've done uh, additionally three nonfiction adult books also. The First Conspiracy, Lincoln Conspiracy, and Knott's Conspiracy. So, I do nonfiction and fiction, but both of them are thrillers to me. Well, we invited you to be on Book TV again to talk about the 10-year anniversary of your series, Ordinary People Change the World. What is this series and how'd you get started with it? The truth was, Peter, I had kids and I was tired of my kids looking at reality TV show stars and people who were famous for being famous and thinking that that's a hero, you know, overpaid millionaire athletes. I was like, I can give them better heroes than that. And so I wanted to write children's books. And I said to my daughter, you know, here's a real hero you can look up to. I want to teach her about perseverance, about kindness, about being daring and being, you know, a good person. And I said, here's Amelia Earhart. She flew across the Atlantic Ocean. And at that point, my eight-year-old daughter said to me, big deal, dad, everyone flies across the Atlantic Ocean. And she was not impressed at all. But then I told her this true story that when Amelia Earhart was seven years old, she built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard. She took a wooden crate, she put roller skating wheels on the bottom of the crate, shoved it all the way to the roof of her tool shed, put two by fours down the side, came flying down the side of the tool shed, flew through the air, crashes. She later said that that was the first time her stomach bottomed out from under her. And she wanted that feeling back again. And when my daughter heard that story, she was like, tell me that again. And that's where the series started. It's basically, called the I Am series, the Ordinary People Change the World series. We've done I Am Amelia Earhart, I Am Abraham Lincoln, I Am Rosa Parks. For my son who loves sports, I was like, forget these overpaid athletes. Here's I Am Jackie Robinson. Or my daughter who loves our dog. I said, you wanna see what animals and your love of science can do? Here's I Am Jane Goodall. And my youngest who loves you know, being creative in Lego and drawing, we did I Am Jim Henson, I Am Walt Disney and gave him the creative heroes. So we've now done over 30 heroes in the series. It's It's been, a gift I never realized I was giving to myself, but it's been our way to kind of fight back against the 
uh, I'll, I'll just say the, the, the way we're treating each other as people today, I think we can do better and give our kids better heroes to look up to. So Brad Meltzer, what's the difference between writing thrillers and writing children's books? Less murder. Um, you know, the, the truth is, Peter, I don't see much of a difference. I really don't. A, to me, a good story is a good story. Obviously, one has adult themes and one has maybe metaphors you can't use in a kid's book. But at the end of the day, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, there, there's a story about George Washington. There's a line, you know, uh, some lines in the book that I put in I Am George Washington as a kid's book that I also used in the thriller that I wrote when I mentioned George Washington. And I used that same line in the first conspiracy about a secret plot to kill George Washington that really happened. So there's a fictional book, a nonfiction adult book, and a kid's book, I Am George Washington. They all had the same story in them. And you know, maybe I use a little bit simpler language, but we all just want a good story. Whether we're a little kid or whether we're a 50-year-old, you know, person, we, we just want to be have something that makes us go like that. That's not just a good story, but that tells me something about myself. That's what the best stories do. Did you have to go through special training, or did you retrain yourself to write for children? Uh, I went through the hardest training of all, which is I gave the books to my kids. And that, I'm not even joking. It, it, it sounds like it's a flip answer. It's not. I, I, I gave the books to my kids and they would just, in the, my first draft, they were bored. My daughter, I, I, that wasn't just a story. That's how I figured out how to write these books. She didn't care about Amelia Earhart when she was famous. My sons didn't care about Abraham Lincoln when he was the president. You know, what? we, we do a huge disservice today to our kids. We, we build these great statues of our heroes. We build monuments of them. And we make them like they're lowercase g gods, like they're bigger and better than all of us. But we have to remind our kids and remind ourselves that anyone you look up to, whether it's Amelia Earhart or Rosa Parks or Dr. King or anyone else, they had moments where they were scared and they were terrified. They were moments when they were kids and they didn't know who they wanted to be and you'd see them fail. So every book we write, all the, you know, whether it's I'm Amelia Earhart or anything else, you see them fail, you see them crash, you see Abraham Lincoln lose multiple elections. And suddenly, when we show them when they're kids, that's where my kids let up. That was my on, you know, literally, really on the job training was just being a dad and realizing all the things I thought were cool were never as cool to my kids. But when I finally figured out what was cool to them, I had an entire book series to add. So, Brad Meltzer, how do you address for children Amelia Earhart's disappearance in the Pacific or Martin Luther King's assassination? Yeah, it's, you know, we struggled with that a long time and tried to figure it out. And we're still figuring it out. I mean, none of these stories, many of them have unhappy endings. Now, we certainly don't show her crashing, but we put a little timeline in the back with real photos and we'll show that detail there. Um, but we've dealt with, we had to forget even about those, you know, untimely deaths. Let's talk about how we deal with slavery when we did I Am Harriet Tubman, how we dealt with the Holocaust when we did I Am Anne Frank. And I remember, you know, I went to my publisher. I said, you know, I see the rise of anti-Semitism. I want to do a kids' book. You know, these are these books are ages four to probably twelve years old, kids' books that are illustrated um, for the Holocaust. And my editor should have laughed me out of the office, saying, "We're not doing a kids' book about the Holocaust." But we work with the Holocaust Museum. We work with experts who talk to kids about the Holocaust, and we said, "How do we portray this?" in a way that is sensitive to these age groups, but also makes the point. Because the one thing that our ordinary people change the world books, I promise you, we don't do is we don't shy away from the hard stuff. You see Harriet Tubman and you see slavery. You know, we don't make it like, oh, things were great back then. They weren't. They were a disaster for anyone going through it. And we need to tell kids these stories. And I think, you know, one of the things we're doing right now is we're in this 
debate over how to teach our kids about history. But I promise you, the answer is not hide it from them. Kids are far smarter and far stronger than you think they are. And I remember when I Am Anne Frank came out, my sister bought one of the first copies. She called me the night it came out and she read it to my then, it was a, my five-year-old niece. I think she was five or six years old. And she said, I can't believe it. The book worked amazing. We, we finished I Am Anne Frank and I had a half hour conversation with my, with my daughter about the Holocaust and not in a scary way, but in asking the right questions, giving her answers. And she, and she said, I can't believe it worked. And I said, why are you so surprised? My own sister. Um, but I'm proud of the fact that the reason we can get there is it's not me. It's that we, we find the best experts out there. We find the experts that can talk about slavery. When we did I Am Martin Luther King Jr., it was uh, Congressman John Lewis was our advisor on that book and helped me get those details right, how to talk about them, how to work them into the book. So we did I Am Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King helped us. Jane Goodall helped us. Dolly Parton, when we did her, her whole team, they helped us out. And so we always rely on those people and they know their stories better than we ever will. What's the difference between writing about past events or deceased people as opposed to people who are still alive? People who are still alive, um, I know it, 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 they can still screw things up. And, and, I, and I mean that seriously. You know, I, I did a book years ago uh, that had a, I won't name who it is, but it was a well-known athlete. And I had him as a hero in one of the books. In fact, it was printed as listed as one of our heroes. And just as the book went to print, if you look at the early copies that we sent to reviewers, he's one of the heroes listed in the book. And right before it went to press, I said, you know, this guy's still alive. He's still young. He can still mess it up. And he wound up getting into this completely horrible doping fiasco that wrecked his career, wrecked his legacy. Uh, and I realized in that moment, the only people that we write about when we write about people who are living is um, people who we think are not going to screw it up, which is why we did I Am Dolly Parton which is why we did I Am Jane Goodall. Um, I, I think that, you know, in a strange, odd way, they're at that point in their lives where, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm less worried than if I wrote something that was about some young athlete or some 16-year-old phenom, anything goes. And, and, what I, and listen, none of these people are perfect. No one we write about is perfect. But what we want to do is make sure we, we, we work really hard to make sure we're picking not someone who's famous, you know, but someone who's an actual hero, someone who helps someone else. I think the culture right now, we've confused fame and being famous and being a hero. We use those words interchangeably, and they are two very different things. Brad Meltzer, do some of the 30 plus I Am books include superheroes? So we did, we, you know, we did an offshoot. We had a, um, so the Ordinary People Change the World Series has all real people. We also did a Stories Change the World Series. That was an offshoot of that where we did I am Superman, I am Batman, I am Wonder Woman. And why do we do that, right? Those are imaginary characters. But we wanted to show kids the power of their own creativity. And to me, you know, Superman, what we told is not just the story of Superman, but why we got Superman. So at the back of the book, you see the story of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two 17-year-old kids from Cleveland, Ohio, invented Superman. Two teenagers, they weren't popular, they weren't good looking but they gave the world something to believe in. And I wanted kids to know that story. And I can tell you myself that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman had just as much an impact when I was growing up as a little kid, as Abraham Lincoln, as Amelia Earhart, as anyone else we write on. So we, we have done the story, you know, to show the power of stories, we have done the Stories Change the World series, but obviously they're not real people. But it's amazing to watch kids who take that. And, and for kids, they don't know most of these heroes. 
they know Superman, they know Batman, but they don't know who Jane Goodall is. And then when they read our book and they do, but I love the fact that there are kids who are reading them and being inspired by fictional and by non-fictional stories. And, and, and it came because of this, Peter. I read this statistic that said that more people are affected by fictional characters in terms of their how we act in life. We're more affected by fictional characters than we are by real people, especially politicians, which means people like Atticus Finch and To Kill a Mockingbird or, or Scout or Superman or even Harry Potter tell us how we should behave and we follow their lessons more than a senator or a congressman or anyone out there. And I don't argue with that. I think that's that's entirely right and not even misfounded. Two new books in that series came out this year for the 10th anniversary. What are they? So we have um, two that we're celebrating with. I am Mr. Rogers and I am Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's so funny because we, we choose these heroes probably six months to a year ago. We have no idea where the world's gonna be when the books come out. But it's amazing how it's worked for us. And I, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think, you know, sometimes you can almost feel what the world needs. I know that I, when we pick out the heroes, Chris Eliopoulos and I, and with our editors, we always say, well, what do we want for our own kids? And let's just start with Mr. Rogers, right? Look at where the world is right now. Look, you know, our kids are on Instagram and they're scrolling and they're on TikTok and they're scrolling and we're all on our phones and we're scrolling and, you know, news is coming fast. It's like a fire hose. And Mr. Rogers stands for that idea that sometimes you just got to slow down. And I love the fact that we get to tell that story of Mr. Rogers. You mentioned the name Chris Eliopoulos. Who is that? Chris Eliopoulos is the, our secret weapon. And I'll show you right here just for a moment. He's our illustrator. Um, I can write all the books I want about Mr. Rogers. He's terrific. We love Mr. Rogers. But it's Chris Eliopoulos who draws this. And this is what kids fall in love with. There are, you know how many books have been written about all the heroes we're talking about? But when I found Chris, you know, his art style is like a mix between, it's almost like uh, Charlie Brown meets Calvin and Hobbes. And any cartoonist can do cute. A really good cartoonist can do funny, but only the best cartoonist can do heart. And I knew if we were gonna launch a series like this, if we were gonna do I Am Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if we were gonna do I Am Mr. Rogers, we needed kids to realize how much heart these people had. And that's Chris's, as I said, he's our secret weapon. It's why kids love these books. It's why they say, buy me another, buy me another. It's why parents are you know, building libraries of real heroes for their kids and their grandkids, their nieces and nephews. It's Chris's art that really sells the story to these kids and make them realize, wait a minute, these aren't the stories of famous people. They're drawn just like kids. They're drawn just like us. These are the famous stories of people that are just like me. Brad Meltzer, open that book up. Let's see what it looks like on the inside. Yeah, so we always what start. What age group are you shooting for here? Yeah, so in I Am Mr. Rogers, again, we go to about four years old to about 12 years old. And what I love about the books is, you know, here he is, here's Mr. Rogers when he hires a, a black policeman because he reads stories about how, you know what, we're, we're not letting black swim in, swimming pools that white people are swimming in. So Mr. Rogers hires this black policeman and, you know, and Francois, the guy who plays him on TV, he's surprised. He says, why'd you hire me? I'm a black man. Why'd you hire me to play a policeman? And Mr. Rogers says to him, well, I think kids need good role models and I want them to see you. And Mr. Rogers fighting for race relations right on his TV show. It's one of the first recurring black characters on a mainstream TV show at the time. And I love the fact I get to tell that story. But what I really love is when you get to see Mr. Rogers 
as a little boy. And you get to see him learn his love of playing the piano. You get to see him with his grandparents. And the most important story of all is his mother. And this is him with his mother who used to knit him a red sweater every single year for Christmas. Okay, he always loved the red one with the zippers up the front. But this is the story that I found that my kids responded to that we put in the book is when Mr. Rogers was a little boy, his, you know, he was always sick a lot. He would pretend play at home with his puppets and with his toys and his world of make-believe. But what I love is his mother would find out about kids who couldn't afford sneakers, couldn't afford clothes, and she would buy them for them. She would send the item to the school nurse. The school nurse would give them to that kid and the kid would say, oh, who gave me this present? And she would just say, oh, you know, just a caring neighbor. And his mother never took credit for buying all those shoes, buying all those clothes, even buying furniture for strangers in, in her neighborhood. And what did Mr. Rogers learn in that moment? He learned how to be a good neighbor. And when the news, this is the most important page in the whole book, when Mr. Rogers was with his mother and he used to get scared of what he saw in the news, his mother told him this advice that he gave to all of us and that we all need to this very day, look for the helpers. You can always find someone who's helping. And I said to Chris, I said, it's the most important page of the book. Draw us something that inspires us, that lifts us up. And think of where we are today when our kids are looking at the news. Think of where your grandkids, your nieces and nephews are when they're looking at the news. And I wanted to remind them, you got to look for the helpers. So I Am Mr. Rogers is a book that's all about being a helper, being a good neighbor, and, and freeing ourselves from the cynicism that we're all suffering from today. And again, it's Chris's art that makes us fall in love with it. All right, Brad Meltzer, what's your conspiracy series? Yeah, our conspiracy series is, uh, it's a little different than I am Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'll show you her just so you can see her. This is this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is the newest one, of course, um, but it's no less vital. Um, our conspiracy series deals with real stories that took place that you don't know about. Um, so the newest one is the Nazi conspiracy. It's about a secret plot to kill FDR, Stalin, and Churchill at the height of World War II, a story I never knew about, never heard about. It's, a, it's the first moment where Churchill, Stalin, and FDR get together. Uh, FDR flies to Tehran, Iran, of all places, because to have this meeting, the first meeting ever of the big three, and everyone's waving in Tehran for the motorcade that's coming down the center of the city. They're all waving. They want to see the president of the United States, presence in the car waving back. But what none of them know is that is not the real president in the car. That's not FDR. It's a Secret Service decoy. The real FDR is actually ducked down and hiding in the back of a beat-up sedan that's racing through the side streets of Tehran because they're worried there's a Nazi assassin who's about to murder him. And I just ruined chapter one of the Nazi conspiracy, but that's chapter one. And what I love is we get to tell these stories um, about Abraham Lincoln, a, a secret plot you've never heard about him at the start of his presidency, and even books that I've been able to, to read to US presidents, uh, like the first conspiracy about the secret plot to kill George Washington. So. What's your process for writing a children's book, a nonfiction book, and a thriller all at the same time? Yeah, it takes some juggling, um, but it frees my brain. You know, the, the thrillers take me, and even the, the nonfiction books I do with Josh Mensch, they take me two years to do. And, you know, sometimes you just need to recharge. So I can tell you that, you know, when, when I'll get to a point in the, in the thrillers where I'm just like, I got to do some research, I need a break. And that's where I go and say, okay, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I wanna do a book about her. I want a, a book about how do you create change in the world? And I see to my own kids, I watch my kids are dealing with, 
and watch what my daughter's dealing with, watch what my sons are dealing with. That's where Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a hero came from. I was like, I'm going to give them a book to teach them how to deal with change. And then I just start going down the rabbit hole, start researching that book, start writing that book. It obviously is only 40 pages and with a lot of illustrations on every page. I don't have to write as much as I do for a thriller. Um, and then when I'm done, I'm charged up. You know, I find these stories of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she's a little girl that her parents used to, on her birthday, on her own birthday when she's a little girl, used to go to an orphanage and give out ice cream so she can see what it's like to be kind to other people. And then she learned that, you know, boys and girls, everything back then were expected very differently from them. She liked to climb trees and climb ladders and jump around, but girls weren't expected to do that. And I tell my daughter that story. My daughter's like, I like that story. I start writing about her. And then I go back to the thriller, completely recharged. That little break of reality just really recharged me. And now I'm working on the second half of this thriller I'm working on. So it's a really odd process when I think about it and say it out loud, but it's just the one that's been working for me. Brad Meltzer, we appreciate your time today on Book TV. Always good to see you, my friend. And you're watching About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Well, on Tuesdays, new books are published. Here's a few that just came out. Bloomberg Businessweek national correspondent Joshua Green is out with his new book, Exploring the Rise of the Populist Left. It's entitled The Rebels. The book focuses on three members of Congress, Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mr. Green is also the author of the 2017 New York Times bestseller, Devil's Bargain, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency. And Epic Times columnist Roger Simon has released his latest book. It's entitled American Refugees, The Untold Story of the Mass Exodus from Blue States to Red States. Mr. Simon also authored the 2016 book, I Know Best, How Moral Narcissism is Destroying Our Republic If It Hasn't Already. And finally, Washington Post columnist and former NPR All Things Considered host Michelle Norris is out with a new book as well. It's titled, Our Hidden Conversations, What Americans Really Think About Race and Identity. Look for all three of these books to be featured on Book TV in the near future. Well, this week on Book TV's Afterwards program, it's former Reagan administration OMB director David Stockman. His new book takes a critical look at the economic policies of former President Donald Trump. The book is called Trump's War on Capitalism. Here's a preview. You have to look at the point in time in which things happen. Uh, you know, there are obviously some fundamental uh, principles or truism about policy, but the business cycle is important. And when you got into 2017, you were in the sweet spot. You were in the middle, if not the uh, back end of what had been a weak but long lasting uh, recovery from the Great Recession. And so it was time that Republicans, conventional you know, conservative, econo uh, conservative Republicans would have been saying normalize, normalize uh, the fiscal posture, normalize uh, interest rates in the Fed position, get it out of, uh, you know, this massive 120 billion per month uh, 
uh, bond buying, uh, you know, insanity. But of course, uh, Trump came from the other side. I mean, William Jennings Bryan probably would have turned blue with envy uh, in terms of uh, what uh, Trump was actually doing in monetary policy. In fact, you just have to say, state it. On monetary policy, Donald Trump is a complete crackpot. He has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, and I have a little thing in the book where I point out the only reason he allegedly got rich is that he was a big speculator in New, New York real estate. Uh, condo prices went up 20, 250% uh, from the late 90s uh, to when he became president. Uh, interest rates, uh, the carry cost, all the debt that financed it uh, went from 4% to 1%. So uh, what's not to like about a world in which asset prices are soaring and the cost of carry is being driven uh, to the floorboard? Uh, well, that, that isn't sustainable, obviously, but uh, Trump uh, learned from that that the, more, uh, the lower the interest rate, the better, and the more money uh, they print, uh, allegedly the wealthier will become. It was totally a wrong, bad life lesson, and yet uh, that's the baggage he comes with. And a reminder that Afterwards airs every Sunday evening at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, thanks for joining us for About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs. And a reminder that you can get this podcast and all other C-SPAN podcasts on our C-SPAN Now app. You can also watch all Book TV programs online anytime at booktv.org.